to boldly go where no man has gone before. And welcome to the Fundamentals Podcast. I am your host, Harley. Joining me today is returning guest, podcaster and writer, Tony Black. Tony has returned to talk to me about a subject that he is deeply, deeply passionate about. And that is, of course, Star Trek. Since its early creation in 1966, Star Trek has captivated the hearts and minds of many, many people just like Tony. And thankfully, Tony's here to help me understand why that is. See, as somebody who hasn't really given the show that much time, I'll be honest, I've always wondered what the big appeal is, why the fans are so diehard, why there's this massive community around it, all the different eras. And again, Tony has helped me to understand why that is, and I hope he can do the same for you. If you really enjoy the conversation you're about to hear, I highly recommend you go and check out his new book, which we do talk about. It's called Star Trek History and Us, Reflections of the Present and Past Throughout the Franchise, and is available in the links of the show. So, without further ado, let's get straight to the conversation. This is Star Trek with Tony Black. Hello, Tony, and welcome back to the Fundamentals podcast. It's a pleasure to be back, Harley. Thanks for having me back on. Doesn't feel that long ago, really. And I'm, I'm guessing... No. Uh, was it was it during lockdown number one we spoke last mm. or something like that? I can't remember. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I'd have to go back yeah. and have a look. But I think you're right. It feels like a, a lifetime ago. <laughs> but yeah, you're, 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 the, you're the first returning guest. And, I'm genuinely um, honoured. Thank you. Oh, no, my pleasure's all mine. I mean, I don't know. I'm just thinking about it now. I'm not sure if I mentioned this, if we said it on the podcast or afterwards, but uh, obviously last time you were here, you were talking about your book and we were talking about you know, nonfiction writing mm. as a whole, and it was brilliant, and I recommend people go and check that out if they haven't already. You. Uh, but you mentioned a Star Trek book, which is now <laughs> available. And I don't think, again, I don't know if we said it on the pod or after, but I was definitely keen to have you back to talk about Star Trek because this is a topic that I personally know little uh, or nothing about really, <laughs> but it's had such a huge cultural impact. Mm -hmm. I just feel like it's something that I couldn't miss off. So, so I guess to kick us off, Tony, I'd love to know when were you introduced to Star Trek? So I am a, a nearly 40 year old man. I'll be 40 next year. Uh, and Star Trek is now how many years old? It's 65 years old this year. Star Trek. Star Trek first aired in 1966. So by the time I first uh, saw it, it was it was well established. It was the mid, well, it was sort of the late 80s for me. It was when I was a, a little boy, uh, and it was it was the movies. It was the, the the Star Trek movies because in the now I'm I'm gonna if there's anything I'm saying, Harley, that you have no idea, you know this already. Do stop me, okay? <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Star Trek had an original series in the 1960s that ran for three seasons and then it was off for most of the 1970s and then it came back in the 80s with a bunch of movies starring the original cast. So that's Captain Kirk, Spark, 
all of these, you know, well-known sort of characters. And those were the films that I really started to love when I was a kid. So I started watching those in the late 80s on VHS. Um, so that was it. That was really my introduction. I just saw them on TV and then I just was obsessed, really. And uh, and from then on, it sort of led into the TV series, um, you know, steadily, but uh, which were all on roughly around that time. So, you know, you're talking like 1988, 1989. That's when they all started to kick in across the 90s. And that was it, really. So... Um, I think the first one I saw was The Search for Spock, which is the third film, um, which isn't the one, I, which is perfectly good, but it isn't the one I'd tell people to go and watch <laughs> if they were going to start Star Trek, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's fair enough. I, I have heard actually um, in sort of passing that apparently with the original Star Trek movies that it's the uh, it's the even numbered ones that, that are considered good amongst the fan base. And then like the odd number ones, the ones that are a bit of a, yeah, you know they're they're not terrible, but they're not great. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's the established kind of law. I I fight back on that with one or two, you know, because I <laughs> okay. The first film, the motion picture, is one of those films that the older you get, the better that film gets because it's a very slow and meditative film. And when you're a young buck, you don't want any of that. You don't want to be. <laughs> you want yeah. the exciting <laughs> movies, and most of the exciting <laughs> movies are the even numbered ones. But as you get into your late thirties, you find the slow pacing. And the beautiful music of the first film, much nicer. <laughs> well, maybe that's okay. just me. I don't know. Could be. <laughs> maybe, maybe, war. but no, no. I, I think that's that's probably art in general, isn't it? You know, tastes and things change over time. So that's fair enough. So I, I'm guessing then that that obviously stuck with you. It wasn't something that you just watched as a kid and then forgot about it as you got older. Mm, it was one of my sort of formative fandoms. The other, the other big one, which is my biggest one, is the X Files, which was the show that I truly adored and still do adore uh, as a uh, as a child and a man but th- this 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 was definitely the same it was uh it, it was it was a strange one because i didn't necessarily watch the tv shows as they came out every week until well into the 1990s as i was becoming a teenager but i remember back then it was all very different anyway because it was whenever they got released in the uk they would be on like satellite you know, ages after they first came out in the US, but they would come on video. So right. you get two episodes of a series per video. I mean, they used to rinse us back then, Harley. Like, like they, these videos were like <laughs> 15 quid a pop for like two episodes. What? And my parents, I know, it was ridiculous. And my parents used to bless them, bless my mum, she used to buy me these tapes. And my, and for Star Trek, they used to, the X-Files was different. The X-Files would release the occasional ep- couple of episodes on VHS and the rest you couldn't get. But Star Trek had... All of them, every single one would come on a two two episode at a time. So the amount of money that my parents must have spent, I can't even wow. imagine. That was the nineties for you, though. People were a bit better, bit you know, better off. I, it must they must have been if they could afford that. You know, yeah, I, I guess um, maybe it was kind of a thing of oh, it's an import and it feels a bit more um, exotic. Maybe or I, I don't know. Could be, <laughs> yeah. could be. But they 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 were on TV. You know, they were they were always on BBC Two. Star Trek: The Next Generation was on BBC Two. And Deep Space Nine was on uh, Sky. So I did catch them then. Um, and it, yeah, it just sort of stuck with me. And I really, you know, I used to write when I was a, a, a child. I used to write stories. I used to write short stories, Star Trek short stories. I wrote, um, I wrote a, a quote marks novel once when I was about 13, um, <laughs> which was all about the Klingon guy, Worf, who was the, uh, like the security man. He was a character I enjoyed. And I and the uh, the only person who ever read this novel was my mum. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I say novel, I'd say it was about 
60 pages in a notebook right um written quite in quite because bear in mind i was about 12 so i wasn't writing very small i was with pen this was with pen and my, my handwriting was relatively big so i think word count <laughs> would have been quite small i'm not sure it would have got published tali is my point you know more, more of a short story um, than a novel yeah yeah, yeah. A, a very very short story yeah. but you know i uh <laughs> I, I I loved it all enough to do those kind of things and to yeah. really yeah immerse in it and it is that kind of it is that kind of franchise really it, when it grabs you it doesn't really let you go. Well, that's great to know. I mean, it, and it it strikes me as that kind of franchise because it's you know a, a kind of big epic sci-fi that yeah if you wanted to write your own stories or sort of it captures your imagination in that way I can totally see why that would be the case. So am I right in thinking then because. Uh, there's different series, as, you, as you've mentioned, that it seems to be something that goes through quite a lot of, I think, like different eras, it seems. So like you mentioned you've got the original series in like the 60s and then it comes back in the 80s and then you've got um, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. I know there's others as well. You'll have to forgive my ignorance here. Um, and there's another <laughs> one on Netflix at the minute. I think it's Discovery, isn't it? It's the, it's the current. Right. Yeah. So have you sort of enjoyed all of them or is it how, how does it feel sort of going through these different eras? You'll have to explain them to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, it, it's easier to sort of do that these days because you, you now sort of have essentially three television eras of Star Trek. You have the one I mentioned at first, which was the 1960s, which was the beginning. And it's the it's the iconic Star Trek show. It's the it's the famous characters. It's the Starship Enterprise it's the very basic concept of a crew of mainly humans with one alien guy who are of are made up of all all nations so you've got the russian uh you've got the russian security officer you've got the chinese helmsman you've got the black communications woman uh so and the idea being that in the 1960s at the height or pretty much towards the end of the height of the cold war where you've got America on one side and Russia on the other, that you've got a TV show bringing together all of these nation states that after the Second World War were all at loggerheads and say, and to be fair, I must correct myself, the character of Sulu wasn't Chinese, he was Japanese-American, and that's my bad. And that's quite important because Japan was a key player in the Second World War. So it was the idea was bringing together all of these, all of these nations and suggesting that, you know, in the future, and this was set in the 23rd century, in the future, you would have all humans working together, that we would all be unified, that they would be exploring what they called the final frontier, which was the next stage of the American frontier. So instead of the, the push westward in the, you know, in the, in the 18th and 19th century, the gold rush, you know, all of these things in American history, the creator Gene Roddenberry is thinking in the far future that the final frontier will be space, will be alien planets, alien worlds, discovering new life forms. So that's the essential core idea at the heart of Star Trek as a, as a concept. So that was the 1960s, but it didn't last very long. It lasted three seasons and it, it aired in the middle of a decade full of very sort of colourful post-1950s uh, television. So you had things uh, like Lost in Space, which was very pulpy. You had the Time Tunnel. You had The Prisoner in the UK, which was this mind-bending, light years ahead of its time, you know, uh, idea about big big brother and surveillance all these kind of amazing tv shows they had around the mission impossible all these things came out around that time and star trek was among them this very colorful era of television that sort of set the stage for what was to come and then uh when it's rebooted essentially in the 1980s reboot conceptually the idea being that the characters from the 1960s have come back in movie form 
and you've seen them age, you've seen them mature. So William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, all these famous actors from the 60s are older, but then they're playing their characters older in the 1980s. They're playing the middle-aged versions of these characters. But then when the idea is rebooted in the next generation, it's set nearly 100 years later in the Star Trek timeline. It's a whole new crew. It's a whole new group of people um, who have since become iconic in their own way. You have Patrick Stewart's Captain Jean-Luc Picard, who was much more of a diplomat as opposed to Captain Kirk being a swaggering ladies' man, charming, you know, <laughs> cowboy in space. Um, and, and then characters like Data, who was the android guy who was looking to become more human. And that's a recurring thing you find in all of these shows. There is always the character who wants to understand humanity who isn't quite human. So in the first one, you have Spock, who's the Vulcan alien who's got pointy ears, so he looks a bit like a devil. <laughs> um, and then you've got Data who is the android who wants to become human. He's Pinocchio, essentially. And then you've got characters like in, uh, in, the, in the subsequent spin-off series, they're less well-known unless you're a hardcore Star Trek fan. So Deep Space Nine, I think if you asked people, you know, randomly, name some characters from Star Trek, I think they would probably say people like Kirk, Spock, and maybe they'd say Data, or maybe they'd say Picard. I don't think they'd say Captain Benjamin Sisko or Major Kira Norris. These are more, you know, hardcore but in that show, you have Odo, who is a uh, a shapeshifter who's lost his home. He doesn't know where he came from, and he's he he doesn't eat normal food, and he's not. So there's all these kind of tra- and then in in Star Trek Voyager, which is the the last one in the '90s era, you have a, a hologram. He's a doctor who is activated as like a holographic doctor, and he is made of photons and light, and he again is trying to understand humans because he's he's not programmed in that way. So you have all of these recurring ideas through all of these different series. Um, and throughout the 90s, it's ubiquitous. So there is, there is barely a week in the 1990s that Star Trek isn't on television, which, 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 is, which is a big, literally from 1990 to 2000, there is barely a week where that show is not on. Or, or the, 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 there is no year when Star Trek is off the air, basically. Um, so that is what I would term the golden age. If you think of the 1960s as the iconic beginning it only lasted for three years and it was cancelled you know it was it was it was cancelled before its time whereas in the 90s it was at its peak in terms of popularity and in terms of they they, they made something stupid like 400 well, actually probably more than that maybe about 600 episodes of star trek they made in that 10 to 12 year period or something like that which is the mammoth amount of <laughs> they re- and recently the sh- the, the franchise uh, reached its 800th episode completely. Really? 800, 800 episodes of Star Trek exist out there. That's and to nuts. imagine watching though, that would take you to do the whole thing <laughs> and, and <laughs> would take you forever. Um, and it's not, even, it's not even close to being over because then what happens in the early noughties is you get, the, you get um, a, a series called Enterprise, which was a prequel show that was set right at the very beginning of Star Trek in the sense that it's set in like, it's set about 150 years from now and it's the first ever sort of crew going out there and exploring with the name Enterprise. So everything's much more lo-fi. It's a bit more like a submarine kind of thing. Um, And then that got cancelled as well after its fourth season. And then Star Trek sort of goes dark on television for well over 10 years. There's nothing except these big budget movies that sort of reconceptualize the idea made by J.J. Abrams. So you've got things like the Star Trek 09 movie and Star Trek Into Darkness, and they are blockbuster 
movies in a different way to the 1980s and early 1990s, well, throughout the 1990s films. They're different. They are much more designed for a modern audience. They're sexier, they're bigger, they're brasher, and they, they are a mixed bag in the fandom. You know, you have as many people who like them as don't. Um, and now you've got what would, in some terms, be considered a potential next golden age, because after Discovery aired on Netflix, you've got um, a... You've got the owners of the franchise right now, um, CBS Viacom, who are determined to li literally never have Star Trek off air. And they have about, they have more shows running at the same time than ever before. Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, which is a sequel to The Next Generation, Star Trek Lower Decks, which is an animated comedy version of the franchise, which is bonkers. Star Trek Prodigy coming up, which is an animated ki kids show about it. So, and there are loads more in the pipeline. So right now, it is going through another phase where it is on television more than, than it has been for probably about 20 years. So it's, it's in fine fettle, but it, it has these very three very distinct time eras that actually are very distinctly made in very different ways um, and reflect very much the sort of eras that they're made in as well. Um, wow, sorry, sorry, Harley. I've just bombarded <laughs> you with a ton of info, but that, that's essentially the basic, I'll, you know, timeline of it. All. I'll say this: um, that's not the longest answer I've had to a question yet. Uh, oh, so far, the, the record goes to um, Chris Lipe, a wonderful guy, a vocal coach who came on, talked to me all about singing. He talked for like twenty minutes on his backstory. Wow. No, it was incredible. I loved it. I just I got so captivated <laughs> in what he was saying that I forgot. I was a host for a minute and I looked at the clock and I was like, oh my goodness. So you're, you're nearly 10 minutes according to my timer here. So you're about halfway, okay. second place. I've, but in I've got a bit of way to go to beat him then. Yes, yeah, but yeah, in yeah. fairness to right. you, you have just <laughs> distilled 65 years worth of, of you know, franchise material. That, that's impressive, I think. Um, I might even I enter some applause here or something because I'm, I'm genuinely impressed that you got that. Thank you. And I can understand it. Now you said that, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. So there's these different eras. So I, I, I don't know about you. To me, there's a pattern that seems to stand out here then. So it's on the air for a few years in the 60s. It must have resonated with some people, but obviously not enough to keep it going on the air, but, you know, by executives' numbers, that is. And then it comes back in the 80s, and then it has this huge resurgence in the 90s. So am I right in thinking that there must have been an audience in the 80s like yourself who are watching it, who must have just got really swept up in it. And and then suddenly they go, oh, hang on, there's a market for this here. Let's just make as many shows and, and movies as we can in the 90s. Well, yes. I mean, that audience was actually there earlier than, earlier than the 1980s. The audience was there from the 1970s, actually, because what happens is that when Star Trek is on the air, it's it's relatively well received, but it's not necessarily a ratings massive ratings winner, and it takes uh, such a thing as um, essentially what is what was known in networks te television. It's it's much less like of a thing these days, but syndication where what they would do in America is that they would try ultimately, and Star Trek never got to this actually, but they would try and reach a hundred episode. Um, number which is quite often why you find a lot of shows in the old days get to like six or seven seasons because what they're aiming for is a hundred episode round number that they can then sell in america to local networks to local because um, the country's so vast and maybe international but mainly local networks who can then show these shows 
and they pay the the company that develops them to show them and and what and the idea is that in the old days the reason we had so much standalone television that you could literally have an episode that was completely different week to week with the same cast is because they wanted to be able to show these things out of order that they wanted. And Star Trek's a great example of this in that you could pick up an episode of the original series of the next generation, some of deep space nine, but that gets a bit more serialized as time goes on. Um, But you could pick up the episodes of the first two from almost any season and it wouldn't matter. You right. could just dip in. You could yeah. watch a random season four episode of The Next Generation and you would roughly get the idea because they wanted to be able to sell them in syndication so they would get repeat money for every time they're shown. So what happened in the 1970s was that Star Trek ends up around the country being shown all the time on repeats, constantly. And people then start to watch it in far greater numbers and it starts to build. It becomes a cult sensation, starts to build. And then they two things starts to happen a fan community starts to build heavily around the idea of conventions i mean these days we know comic cons and you know there's conventions left right and center everywhere but star trek was actually the first franchise that properly did this back in the 1970s and they had letter writing campaigns to the network to say revive star trek revive it keep it going all through the 1970s and these were ground level fan communities unlike anything that had been seen and are now completely the norm in the age of the internet. You know, you go on a Facebook group and you've got 350,000 Marvel Universe fans on a Facebook group. Back then, all these people were communicating through through newspapers, through letter writing, through, you know, pen pals, <laughs> you know. And, they, and then what they did was they organized these convention centers to come together as fans. And they would have Gene Roddenberry, the creator, come and speak at them. They would have actors come and all this. And then in the in the mid 1970s, they sort of give them what they want by doing an animated version of the original series. So you, there, it, and for years it was not considered canon, as in it was not considered part of the official sort of Star Trek timeline. But that has since started to change, and it was essentially an animated show with the same actors by and large, with the same voices, and it was very very similar. It was just twenty minutes of, uh, I mean. <laughs> It's some of it's terrible. <laughs> like they're, they're, they're all on Netflix, and some of yeah. them are breathtakingly 1970s Harley yeah. in there. You know, the, the thing with the original <laughs> 60s show is that yes, some of it is very kitsch and it's very 60s, but some of those episodes are genuinely still really good. 60 years later, 60 whatever years like 50 whatever years later. Um, whereas the animated series, you have to dig a bit deep right. <laughs> with that one. Yeah. Okay. And so that's why it's not very well known, because they only made like about 20 odd episodes of that um, in the mid 1970s. But it, it builds, it's building. And, it, and over the rest of that decade, it builds to the point that they decide to make a movie. And all through the 1970s, there are um, aborted sort of projects. A big one was an aborted sequel TV series that was going to be called Phase Two, Star Trek Phase Two. Okay. And it would have had the original, the original cast back. And it would have been, you know, these days we get revivals things like say prison break or the x-files yeah. or whatever yeah. that would have been the equivalent in the 1970s you're bringing back all of the characters but leonard nimoy who played spock didn't want to do it because he was having a very very difficult time reconciling his fame as spock uh... he wrote um he wrote two autobiographies the first one was i am not spock <laughs> and the second one let me guess was i am spock. i got 
I am Spock. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> by, the, by the time he got older yeah. and after the success of the films of the 1980s, he'd come to terms with that, that being essentially his legacy. And obviously he's since passed away. But I think he died perfectly at home with him being known as Spock for the rest, you know, for, forever. And that, I mean, there's, 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 there's far worse things to be known for, I think. True, but, um, true. Yeah, he's one of the most iconic TV characters in, in fiction. Um, so it kind of put the kibosh on that, really. But then a lot of the ideas from that, and it would have been a fascinating project, when some of those went into what became the motion picture, which was the relaunch of Star Trek in the 1970s. And that was it. That sort of kicked it all off. So really, that groundswell existed. And then those 80s movies became real fan favourites. And they were never mega money spinners, but they were enough in by by 1986 for the network to turn around and go do you know what the, yeah there's money here there is there is a very clear fan base there are people who want you know to see these characters again but at the time and it's remarkable now when you think about how beloved the next generation is that fans hated the idea of a new cast in this show they hated it with a passion and they wrote letters and they complained and and then, you know, as with everything, you know, and I do firmly believe this as a fan, Harley, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. fans have no idea what they want until <laughs> you give it them. <laughs> so That's so true. You know, never, never, <laughs> ever listen to the fans because they're the worst people to listen uh, to. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And unfortunately, as we've seen in, in recent years with fan bases, it's often the more toxic minority that have the loudest voice and shout right. the loudest. So the people that actually just want more of the thing that they like are quite happy just to sit and see what comes um yeah because worst case scenario you don't like it and you just go well okay this this particular part Mm. of what i'm interested in you know i'm not gonna like it i mean with something that has like 800 episodes i'd be pretty (laughs) amazed if you liked every single one you know oh my god can you imagine i feel like that 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 doesn't make any sense if there's eight i mean no yeah, that, I can't imagine loving every single 800 episodes of, of anything and, and honestly meaning that. No. It's just, it just seems impossible. But I love what you've just said there. I love that there's like a grassroots movement and it's kind of like there's a fan's sort of undercurrent to the whole series. I think that's really cool. Mm, and it's, it's easy to, um, to forget that in a way because it's such a well-known franchise now with such an established fan base. I mean... Yeah. In many ways, Star Trek is the original fandom. You know, you have the Star Wars fans, obviously, who are huge, and you know all these other fandoms that grow grew up around it. You know, when when you had the uh, the X Files become a sensation in the nineties, that that then spawned what was known as shipping, which was when you you know you go you want to see two characters romantically involved, yeah. as they wanted with Mulder and Scully in that show. But you know, these were fandoms that came in the wake of Star Trek. These, these Star Trek one existed well before any of the rest of these. So it sort of set the template for what fandoms... And, you know, fandoms... And I know I talked about this in my last appearance on these shows. I'm not going to go too heavily into it, but there's always been that toxicity. You know, whether they were writing letters or they were, you know... Um, I think one of the campaigns was to send... Oh, was it something like barrels of nuts to the network or something as part of it? It was really random, right? <laughs> 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 to send to the network in trucks to sort of make their point some random stuff there's always been these eccentric eccentricities and, and these out, outlier people with these fandoms but it but star trek has always had a very very inbuilt you know trekkies as they're called or trekkers whichever you want to 
want to describe them. I, I go for Trekkie myself. Very, very, very hardcore fans who are extremely knowledgeable. They're extremely picky. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're extremely dedicated. And by and large, they're all extremely lovely. And, you know, you, you and, and you, I think you'd find that as awful as, as much as some of these fandoms have some terrible people. I think the majority of people are actually really nice, especially when, when you meet people. You know, and I've been to some of these conventions in the UK and it's great. I've made real friendships out of this franchise, particularly in the last five or six years. So yeah, they they can they can be a wonderful thing, these kind of these kind of things. That's awesome. And I and I hear that more and more actually with different conversations that I've done. This reminds me of the conversation I had with um with Evan about Godzilla, which is it was lovely and said similar things. You know, you go to conventions and it, and people are just nice to you. And I think that's how it should be. Mm. You know, if you all have this collective interest in something, yeah, you're not going to agree on every single aspect, but it doesn't mean you can't enjoy it together. And I'm glad to hear mm. that that is part of it. So sort of staying with that thread, I'm curious, what do you think it is that is in the show, particularly in that original series initially, that kind of sparked such a huge movement and sort of really resonated with fans? I mean, it's it's such a big question that's been debated for a long time. This one, and I think I think I, I would always come back to the fact that Star Trek, at its purest form, is very much about hope, and it's very much about wanting to create a better world. And I think one of the one of the thing, and very much about the human experience, you know, and. The best Star Trek stories, and I say this by and quantifying this because I, I am unfortunately, I've unfortunately become one of those people, Harley, that I'm too old for the new stuff, <laughs> and and a lot of the new Star Trek just isn't my jam, I'm afraid. And oh, part of the enough. reason is that, yeah, and that's fine, and I and I'm I'm well happy that there are lots and lots of people out there who love a lot of it. I'm just not really one of them for the most part. Because I think a lot of those, a lot of the new stuff kind of doesn't really subscribe to what some of what the core elements of Star Trek are for me, which are when you have a great Star Trek episode, it's it's optimistic about the future. It wants to believe that people can better themselves and learn about or I mean, and Star Trek can go anywhere. I mean, that's the beauty. It's one of those very elastic franchises in that you can have really powerful dramas. It's heavily based on allegory. So you know the the the, first, the the original series is full of explorations of the second world war of of the vietnam war which was happening at the time you know the um the next generation is doing allegories about the cold war and about the aids crisis and and then and then deep space 9 is is entirely an allegory for the holocaust the whole conceptual idea is essentially a planet that has been occupied for 50 years and its people were decimated having to restore itself and 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 they go really deep on that and it's amazing and you get some incredible nazi and jew kind of allegories and all this kind of thing um and and it's really profound stuff and you and and you can we and it weaves in history and it weaves in philosophy and science and it brews all of these things quite often in one episode frequently and it can be adventurous and it can be comic and it can be all of these things and sometimes just completely empty-headed <laughs> in a wonderful way yeah. um and thrilling but it, it, I think people keep coming back to it in because they. You, I think mo- a lot of people from a from a good Star Trek episode, and like you said, not all of them are good. I promise right. you that. Yeah. <laughs> some are terrible. Some are really terrible. Yeah. Um, but 
I think people watch it because they want to they want to feel enriched in that sense that they come away from it believing that there is a hopeful world to come. And 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 part of the problem I've had with some of the new stuff is that they really sort of, in a way, because because we know that the world in the last five years has been awful for the most part broadly. They they've sort of tapped into that too much, and they've got away a little bit from Star Trek actually like in the 1960s where it was projecting forward about a crew that were way beyond. I mean, you know, you would never have got a crew of people from Japan, Russia, America, you know, working together in the 1960s in that way. They were, they were looking ahead. They were trying to imagine a world where we'd overcome a lot of these very sort of petty nation state problems. And unfortunately, some of the new Star Trek is very much about how the world is terrible and, you know, Oh my God, and it's doom. And, 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 you know, I think I think if people love these things for different reasons, don't get me wrong. And quite often, Star Trek looks very different from a distance. A lot of revisionist stuff about some of the 1990s shows, you can you see them in a whole new light with the passage of time now, 20 odd years removed. So they're very so almost certainly when I'm in my you know 50s and 60s, I will look back on the, the 2020 Star Trek Harley and go, do you know what? There was there was merit in some of that because we're you know. Um, but I think ultimately that's what it is. I, I, that's certainly what it is for me. And I think if you, a lot of other fans would have different answers, but I think ultimately, I think that's what they, they get from it. That sense of joy and hope and, you know, imagining something better, really. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Given, as you say, that particular moment in history in American history, especially or world history, I suppose. Yeah. The fact that, as you said, it, it has people of all these different backgrounds coming together and working together on something and yeah i can i can see why that would be appealing to an audience and i suppose as well from that point you also get representation right so you get people seeing mm-hmm. themselves in characters on screen that perhaps they weren't seeing at the time you know like you mentioned you know, a, a black female lead for instance would, mm-hmm. would i'd imagine in that point in american history would have been quite um different from what people were seeing on television i mean it's still an issue now mm. in hollywood quite frankly mm. so mm. it's uh and then you've got as you said you've got people guys from russia and guys from, from japan i can imagine that would have been quite refreshing for an audience of people watching thinking oh yeah i could see myself as part of this crew mm. perhaps not feeling they would be excluded from these stories mm. oh, oh completely i mean nichelle nichols who played uhura the black communications officer is still with us she's like in her late 80s now and she's still she's still doing things where she's representing you know that very iconic black female in space you know that that level of early sort of afrofuturism which now you're seeing you know writ large in things like black panther or lovecraft country and it's fabulous it's wonderful to see that now because it's starting to really you know establish black culture as more than just Oh, the tokenistic, yes, you know, black person on a bridge full of white people. You know that it is about their culture and their stories, and that's wonderful. But she was, she was a good example of that. And yet, to be fair, she wasn't really the lead as such. The lead, the leads were still three white men because most uh, yeah. most of the stories okay. in the sixties did revolve around Kirk, Spock, and Bones, the Doctor. Mm. Um, they were sort of a triumvirate and all the other characters sort of had the odd line here and there, but she was still an important face to see there yeah. an important representation. Um, and, and then there's the historic um, in the episode, Plato stepchildren in season three is mistakenly considered the first interracial kiss on television. 
It's not quite. There was something just before that in the 1960s. But there is a point where Kirk kisses Uhura on screen. And it's a very sort of um, almost like Hayes Code era sort of kiss. It's They, they don't really properly kiss. It's much more of a like a their lips meet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> but it caused a lot of, it caused some complaints. It caused some uproar. It caused a lot of excitement because at the same time as this is all happening, this is like 1968 when this comes out and we're in the th- the, the thrust of the civil rights era, you know, the Black Panthers, the death of Martin Luther King, the assassination of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and all of these, this really, you know, and the, and people have commented, they they feel like the, the end of the 2010s is almost, and the start of the 2020s has been very reflective of the, of the mid to late 1960s when you had civil rights movement, the anti-Vietnam war protests, a very, very hawkish government starting to come to power in the wake of JFK's assassination. And you have... A lot of that reflected in Star Trek as it comes out. You know, there's lots yeah. of stories that are trying to unpack that and figure out whether, quite honestly, whether it's a liberal or conservative TV show. And it does, it does ebb and flow in a way, you okay. know, in many ways. So there's a there's a lot there's a lot going on. There is a lot going on, and represent, but representation is a big part of it. And then when you get into the 80s, um, it's a different kind of thing. I think I think the key thing with that is that. By that point, it's it's trying to suggest that old enemies can become friends. You know, the character of Worf, who is a Klingon, and the Klingons were historically the um, the sort of allegorical Russian slash Chinese yeah. other in the, Star Trek. The communists they were the, kind they, of thing, yeah. Yeah, the communists, basically. And they, they were the aggressors, and they were, they were to be feared, and the Klingons were always projected as very savage and all that kind of thing. But then in The Next Generation, Worf is on the bridge. He's one of the crew. So it's gone beyond just being the humans who are, you know, together, the human race, but it's also the alien races now. And the aliens are always the analogue for a different aspect of human culture. So in that sense, you've almost got the communists at the end of this Cold War working with the Americans, you know, working with the capitalists. So not that Star Trek was ever a show about capitalism as such, but it, 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 it is about it is about these things coming together, and I think that's one one of the things Star Trek always does try and do. It tries to, and it's done that very well in the modern era. You know, you have you had a black male lead in Deep Space Nine, who was a fantastic, and and his black son as well in space, and they were brilliant as well. And there were, but now you have a black female lead in Discovery. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and I have problems with the character itself. <laughs> and the way she's portrayed but it's nothing to do with the, with her skin color you know it's wonderful yeah. to see Sonequa martin green in this role and and being that really empowering black female captain in space and that's wonderful and so there's so star trek is really good with that and it is very and and recently we've had the first non-binary relationship on screen as well in star trek um you know you've had uh trans people who uh identify as they a transgender relationship in that show which is fantastic because Star Trek has always been a bit ham-fisted with that kind of stuff in the past, particularly in the 90s. There were leanings towards sort of transgender stories and particularly um, gay stories, particularly a lesbian relationship in a Deep Space Nine episode called Rejoined, which was very male gazy, right. <laughs> if I'm honest. Okay. So, okay. Um, it, you know, so they've always found that a bit... And there were people, to be honest, as awful as this, this sounds, there were people in, in the network space who just would veto any attempt to put gay characters on screen because for for a long time there were a lot of fans were saying well this is the 23rd or 24th century when they talk when they basically live in a utopia that humanity have completely eradicated hunger war 
you know, all of the they're just they're almost these evolved humans. Yet there aren't any gay people, there aren't any you know transgender people, there aren't any, and 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 it's because unfortunately there were people in the network who were saying no, when you're not putting a gay person on screen right. in a relationship, okay. and that was the eighties and the nineties, mm, mm. and that doesn't exist now, which is good. That that shows that we have come some somewhere in time because now. Star Trek active, actively encourages these things. The people who make Star Trek or fund Star Trek actually encourage these things, which is brilliant. Because the more you see these things on screen, the more normalised they are. And again, a better world we live in, basically, for it. Oh, it's interesting, I guess, yeah, that the the show kind of reflects the time, as a, you know, sort of time frame that it's in. I mean, I guess mm. you think all good storytelling should do that in some form or another, so... Fair enough. I, I, it's, it's funny, I hadn't considered any of these aspects, but now that you mention them, it's like, oh yeah, I suppose the show has done this and done that. And again, maybe that is part of why people are drawn to the show. And um, thinking about it as well, I guess there's there's different eras, as we said before, Star Trek. So is that something that is also perhaps appealing to people, is that you can have different series that you can like? You know, so for example, you might be more of a fan of the original, and as you are, you know, yeah, not so keen on the the newer one, but that's okay. There might be someone who feels differently. So it's something that you can kind of pick up at different points and just enjoy in whatever way you see fit, really. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, and you know, the benefit of something like Star Trek, and this isn't to knock um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe as an example, but what they're doing now with those shows is that they're often quite interlocked with each other. And there are often, there are going to be some movies or shows that you're going to be a bit lost in in that world because you haven't seen the other things, the other thing here and there. Yes. Star Trek doesn't really operate like that. Star Trek has its crossovers and it has its moments where things collide or, you know, come over each other. But traditionally, you could sit down and you could watch any of these series and you would have you would be able to understand what they are of their own, you know, on their own way. Um, And that and that's what that's what's good about it. And they they are they are. I mean, obviously, in the 60s, you only have the one show in the 90s. You have three shows that are running. Well, there's never more than two shows on at once, usually. But there, there are four distinct shows that are all in many, in different ways, different from each other, um, that overlap in terms of the years a little bit. But they're all very much their own thing. Um, three of them set in roughly the same timeline, time zone. Another one set years, you know, centuries before. Um, and it, again, in this modern era, they're not all set at the same time. Now, you know, the Discovery is now in like the 32nd century. <laughs> it's like way ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they did a massive like thousand year time jump in their latest season. So they are way ahead of everything else. Um, so, you know, it is something that you can dip in and out of and you can. And, and, and you know, it, it not Star Trek it, on an individual basis. You, it, it's not all for everyone. You know, you might have you. There are people out there who adore the next generation and they won't watch a minute of deep space nine because it is so different. And you know, that, that, because that is set on a space station, it's not set on a ship. It, and, and, and it's all about people coming to them essentially much more than it is about them going out somewhere. So hmm. there are all kinds of different reasons why certain of these shows are more liked by other people, even though in the nineties, they are all, if you look at them, and the, and the, and the noughties, the first five years, which is when Enterprise is on and Voyager comes to an end, they are all made in a similar way. Okay. You know, visually, aesthetically, stylistically, because they have overlapping teams working on them, many people who cross over from each project. And 
they are definably there within that era. You know, you would be able to pick them out and say, oh, that's probably from the 90s. Whereas mm. it, that's very different from the 60s. And it occurred to me recently, somebody said this to me, the way we used to look at the 1960s show in the 90s when we were kids is exactly how mm. the kids these days are <laughs> looking at the 90s. <laughs> and, it's, and it's a really weird thing, but it's yeah. absolutely true. Yeah. It's absolutely true. They look, I mean, they are slower. They are slower. They are a bit more dated. They are more meditative. Yeah. Um, and again, it goes back, I think, to maybe appreciating that, appreciating that stuff a little bit more when you're older or feeling it's slightly different. You know, when you sure. and, and, and like with any fandom, Harley, yeah. when you grow up in, in a particular era, that's the era that resonates with you the most. Of course. You know, yeah. without question. Yeah. You know, I will always love the 90s era of Trek more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, that's, and, that's and your entry point, movies. isn't it? So it yeah, makes total completely. sense. And I think what you were saying before, though, I've always found that, like, from what I know, again, of my very limited knowledge, is that it does seem to be a mixed bag. Like you said, you can have an, a sort of action-y episode of, of a show and then one that's a bit slower. Mm. But then I think in terms of, you keep using the word meditative, and I think that's excellent because it's like, I get the impression that that's what the show's about. I mean, you kind of said it before that it's, there's all these characters that are there that sort of are designed, I guess, to invoke deep consideration about the human condition or, you know, relations uh, that we have with, with different people from different backgrounds, that sort of thing. So it kind of makes sense that as a show, it's going to have a couple of episodes where it wants you to sit and think about characters and points of view and, and all those sorts of things. So, yeah, I, I can't see that being a bad thing necessarily. Uh, no, I, I think it depends what you go into these things for. I mean, sure. it's funny yeah. when I was when I was a kid, when I was a teenager watching this stuff, I lived for the the episodes with the gigantic fleets of ships fighting <laughs> each other and these galactic yeah. wars and yeah. you know all of this stuff, which are all wonderful still. But now I would much rather sit down and watch an episode of Star Trek, like for instance, there's an episode called Darmok in the Next Generation which is essentially Picard stranded on a planet with an alien who doesn't understand his language. And Picard has to try and unpick a common ground through language, through symbolism, and to try and get his way off this planet with this alien. And it is, it is incredibly interesting. And when you're younger, it's not necessarily something that resonated with me in the same way, but I watch it now and I think that's fantastic, the way that's constructed, the way that's done. And that's just one example. And I, so I think you, you, depending on your age, depending on the era you're in, depending on how you look at Star Trek, I think you'll find different kinds of episodes, different reasons, different characters to enjoy. Yeah. And, 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 and to its credit, you know, they, even back then, they didn't try and keep it exactly the same each week. Yeah. You know, particularly Deep Space Nine was good at this, in that they would bounce between a comedy episode, an action epic, <laughs> uh, a quieter you know, ponderance on the human condition, you know, or, and they would, they would do some fantastic, you know, I mean, there's an, an amazing episode of Deep Space Nine called Far Beyond the Stars, which actually is set in the late 1950s. And it is all about a black science fiction writer in the 50s facing prejudice. Right. And it's the main character of that show sort of, sort of, he, he, we don't quite know what, what's going on in that he's either tra traveled back in time or he's, become this man or something it's but it's incredible really moving and powerful hour of television and this was made in like 1998 um and it has the space to do that it has the freedom the elasticity to do that and i think the from the out, outset i think i think star trek can be 
I think Star Trek can be alienating in some ways because it may be seen as a little bit too insular or a little bit too complicated or a little bit too... I don't know what... It's hard It's hard to sort of describe this as somebody who's so into it, but it, <sighs> I think may, may, <laughs> maybe it's seen as something that's one thing, as weird aliens, the future, like people on a spaceship, you know, and it's... It's not. It's it's really not. That's just that's just the standard basic template. But then, what you what you find is, and this is what happens with the best science fiction. It's not about the twenty third or twenty fourth century. It's about now. It's about today. Yeah. It's about yes. who we are as people in this era, and it's just using all of these amazing futuristic things yeah. to show that. No, it's so funny. I think this comes back to kind of our first discussion, really, about the whole narrative around you know, sort of fiction writing and, um, you know, because obviously your book was unpacking the, the sort of the modern myth arc and uh, and why we're drawn to these kind of stories. And as you pointed out really there in your book and in our conversation, that so much of it is it's writers and people trying to understand themselves and the world around them and the people around them. And of course, that's going to be reflected in, in what they produce and what they act. And as you say, I, this is one of the reasons I love science fiction, because it gives us this really cool canvas to paint all of this stuff on we're not limited to perhaps the more um you know sort of mundane restrictions of modern life at that time we can be as fanciful as you like but you can still ground it in some level of reality or or things that we can understand so i'm not yeah i'm not surprised that star trek actually does that in in its writings and that makes total sense and to what you were saying earlier I, i've mentioned this before on the show i think it is it's unfortunately human nature. I mean, we've all been guilty. I've been guilty of it with Star Trek and, and other things of kind of putting it in a box, you know, of, of sort of going, yeah, like you said, people in jumpers, aliens, <laughs> that, that the Enterprise ship, Spock. Um, one of my reference points is, um, oh, what's this? Who plays Captain Kirk? William Shatner screaming Khan. <laughs> that's another, that's another point <laughs> yeah. that's in my head yeah. somewhere. And that's, that's about as deep as my understanding goes. But, it, but this is one of the reasons I started the show is to kind of open up those boxes and, and figure out the different topics and why people love it. So this this is great and fascinating. And I, I don't, who knows, maybe someone listening will kind of be like, you know, what? I will give it a go. I will uh, check it out. And because there's lots of places you can begin. I mean, even the movies, for example. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on on some of the films? Because I understand that. The original ones were meant to kind of tie in with the series that they were rebooting, and after that, it kind of, as you say, then we get the JJ era and all the rest of it. So, what what are your kind of favourites and thoughts on that? I think they're they are quite different depending on when they are. The eighties movies, and they're predominantly the nineteen eighties. Yeah. There's one in seventy nine, there's one in ninety one, but they are the original crew, and they are not. Well, the, the 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 what the reference point you have, Khan, does actually tie back to a 1960s episode called Space Seed. It's essentially the Wrath of Khan is essentially a sequel to that, but you don't really right. need to have seen that episode. Mm. You don't really need to have. It just adds a level of context if you do. But those films were quite, in a way, audience pleasing. They were either action based or they were comedy based. Mm. I mean, one of them, which is one of my favourites, The Voyage Home, is this is the plot, Harley. Mm -hmm. The, the crew of the Enterprise go back in time to save Earth in the 23rd century 
<laughs> from an alien probe that wants to get in touch with humpback whales, which have been exterminated in the 20th century by climate change, by whaling. And they have to go back to 1986 San Francisco to rescue two whales and bring them to the future. (laughs) (laughs) That's the plot, for real. And it just (laughs) ends up being, it's bonkers, but it's wonderful because it's full of comedy. It's got got characters like Kirk and Spock, like getting modern references wrong, like they they call um, LSD, LDS and all this kind of stuff. It's just wonderful, right? He took a bit of too much LDS, right? And this kind of thing, and that, it's there's so many little things who are that are just great, yeah. And so yeah. it has the space to do all these things, so it's a lot warmer and a lot more convivial. When you get into the the, the films that were made in the nineties, um, particularly the mid to late nineties, they are they are next generation movies, okay. so they they're a different crew. And I think with those, you it helps to know a little bit more of this of the of the material. It helps to know a little bit more about these characters because they are, in some ways, extend. They've got, they've got, they're extensions of the TV show in a way. So I think they're slightly less accessible. I would say now some people might disagree with me on that. And I think if I was going to point anyone towards a movie in that era, I would say Star Trek: First Contact um, is is the one for people to watch because it's a little bit more like the 80s movies. Is that the one, because I, I have actually seen, I should reveal at this point, I have seen one of the 90s movies with um, Patrick <laughs> Stewart, because my boss, yeah. Lee, if he's listening to this, um, is a, was a big Star Trek fan. And we used to talk about it every now and then, and he was like, you should watch one of the movies. I said, oh, which one? I'm pretty sure it was First Contact. Is that the one where they meet the guy who invented, I think, space travel or like something like that? Yeah, yeah and they go back to That's Earth, the and then there's a bit with, I think it's the Borg... See, I've got this is again, this is like floating around in my head. I remember enjoying <laughs> that film because it was quite a straightforward yep. science fiction kind of movie. And like you said, it, it seemed to not have. Too, I mean, I'm guessing if I've watched the show, I would obviously get a lot more out of it. But just as someone coming in dry, I was like, oh, no, this is, I get it. This is pretty straightforward and fun yep. and enjoyable. Well, that's good because yeah. because that is a sequel itself to a major plot arc right. from the next generation okay. involving the Borg in many ways. Yes. So, but the film does enough to to bring you up to speed, basically. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there are definitely things in that film that you would get more out of if you've seen some of the Star Trek lore. Yes, but it is a good entry point. It's a good one that, to watch. I think there are there are different entry points. I think depending on on what you're looking for. I mean the the, the O nine movie. Mm-hmm. The, the the JJ Abrams reboot yep. was a very different thing because it was deliberately uh, retro sixties. You know that JJ Abrams. I, I mean, I'm, my next book is about JJ Abrams. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be writing about this in detail. Yeah, um, and he is obsessed with that sort of retro sixties futurism and, in most of and what he lens does. flares. And <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, hell yeah. I mean, I, I've I've um, seen all three of the newer ones, and I remember being half blinded <laughs> at the end of each one particularly one and two i was yeah i think yeah, the, what was it yeah. the not wrath of can one he did into darkness i came out of that like I, i'm pretty sure that's when i needed glasses after that film but yeah go on yeah yeah and it, it's, it's the worst one as a result to be honest um <laughs> because yeah he it. does over no because you can't see it. it's like oh my god what's that yeah. he does overload it famously and that's that was all that but that's all about the showmanship that he does it's that it's that yeah. sense that he wanted the they stand very differently from the films of, of before because they are uh, they're not remaking the original series as such but they they are they are very they very cannily sort of tie into the continuity through mechanisms i won't go into in this but okay. 
they're they are intentionally trying to have their cake and eat it they're trying to reboot the 1960s yes because you know these characters you know the enterprise you know kurt you know spock they are iconically representational in a way that they they feel audiences will understand who these people are with new actors new young hot sexy actors yeah um and it sounds like I don't like them. I actually do. I think that first Star Trek 09 film is great fun. And I've loved it at the cinema and I've, I enjoy it since. And I like all of them in a way. Um, but they are, they are not really anything to do with Star Trek going forward into a new era. Which, yeah. for better or worse, the new Star Trek shows are trying to do. Yes, They're sort of a bit locked into a nostalgia trap in many ways. But they're trying to in terms of how they make star trek it's much more serialized now it's not standalone almost in any way it's right. it's all about these 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 continuing character threads and all this kind of thing it's different from how they made it in the 90s and in the 60s but those films were all about trying to recapture the original essence of star trek yeah and they will never really be able to do that properly because you can't recapture the 60s no, no. <laughs> you can't you can't do it you know you cannot bottle that chemistry between William Shatner and and Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly, you can't. It's impossible. And so those films are always a little bit in the shadow. Um, and and what I want to see now is Star Trek just going going well as the phrase goes, going where no one has gone before. And it's yeah. it's not quite done that yet. It's <laughs> it's yeah. not. It's still it's still a bit scared. It's still a bit scared to do something completely bold and new and original. Um. So. And, and when it does, I think that's when I'll be back on board. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> fair enough. I, I, I think, though, I guess it's one of those things, it's a bit of a two-edged sword in a way, isn't it? Because you've got this massive fan base, and it's it's great because people love it, they're on board, but it's coming back to what you said yeah. earlier of fans not knowing what they want sometimes. And Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, can, I can understand. I mean, funny enough, JJ had the same issues, I think, with the Star Wars sequels of... <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I, oh yeah, you can say the same. My yeah, my mind, sure. not to go off too much on Star Wars, but my mindset was pretty much what yours is now with Star Trek, which is like I hope to see this go somewhere else, and it didn't, <laughs> and it just sat in. Like, do you remember yeah. this? Do you remember? It's like, yeah, I remember it. I've got it. I've seen it. Can we have something mm. new, please? And mm. they just got caught up in the wheels of, I guess, tr- like you said, trying to have the cake and eat it, trying to push things forward with new characters and, uh, you know, establishing it, but and yeah, but also without upsetting that crowd that were going, this isn't my Star Wars. And I'm sure you'll get that with <laughs> the same with the Star Trek. If this isn't my Star yep. Trek, yeah, well, it isn't. Completely. But you've got 800 episodes. Go and enjoy them mm. if you really want to. You, mm. If you want to get new fans, you've got to do new things. You can't mm. just keep yeah. spinning your wheels and doing the same thing over and over. So I can understand it. I mean, for what it's worth, I enjoyed all those movies as well in the cinema as someone who has no particular affiliation with Star Trek. Just as the sci-fi movies, I went in going, yeah, I get these. These are fun. These are fine. Well, that's good. And I, I was very curious to see, like, I wonder how the the fan base will feel about this. Because I had the sense that there would be some people who would love seeing the representation of their favorite characters on the big screen and would kind of take it with a pinch of salt, knowing, okay, this isn't going to be what I'm used to like yourself or the signs of it. And I imagine there's quite a few who are on the other spectrum who were just throwing their popcorn at the screen and storming out in protest. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think there were, I think there were, I think, you know, some people have a, just have a real problem with the way JJ Abrams makes movies. 
I'm not one of them. I think he's extremely talented. I'll, I'll put my hand but up. Think... I'm, I'm half and half on that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Well, 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 well. I, I say this, but you know, it. And and I and I don't fully believe this was entirely his fault. But the no, rise no. of Skywalker is awful. You know, b- yeah. because no, I don't it does exactly this. It, no, and it, it's because it does exactly this problem, and and it's yeah, one, yeah. it's something that the Star Trek films haven't actually done. They haven't completely. Mm-hmm given way to the worst excesses of fandom in the way that The Rise of Skywalker did. Now, those films yeah. didn't do that. Those films just simply wanted to recapture, A, an audience base, but also a feeling of Star Trek at a point when, I mean, you yeah. know, and I will always be grateful for them because they saved it. You know, after 2005, Enterprise was cancelled. And it was it was dead, Harley. It was dead, okay. that franchise. It, 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 there, was, there were no more TV shows come in the fan base was still there, but Enterprise died a very slow death, really, because it was nothing new. By that point, it had exhausted itself. And mm. those movies kept Star Trek in the popular consciousness. And and it's always the way with fandoms. They need, yeah. with franchises, they need to be kept in the popular consciousness. You need to keep the IP in people's minds. Otherwise, these things just go away for a long time. Yeah. Look at Doctor Who. Doctor mm. Who went away for like 15 years because it wasn't properly maintained, you know? And right. now, it's it, it, for the last 15, it's been one of the biggest things in the world. Hmm. You know, for ve- whether whether you think the quality is good or not. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it, and this is one of the things, I think the fact that now we have Star Trek, in theory, mm-hmm. constantly on the air, which once COVID and the problems with COVID and filming are gone, yeah. will be the case. Okay. We wouldn't have had that without the J.J. Abrams films. I really believe that. So well, That's fair enough. You know, yeah. It, it all it all is part of the same continuity, you know, the the same it, impulse to use a Star Trek, yeah. <laughs> to, the same <laughs> impulse power to keep things going, which is no bad thing. Well, that's fair enough, and um, yeah, like you said, I, I I get the sense that they were mostly successful. I know the Into Darkness one was a bit of a a sore spot for some people. Um, I think just because that was trying really hard to capture sort of Rathad Khan, which is, again, in my understanding, is, is quite an iconic, you know, early Star Trek film. And I think in that case, it's like, hey, you're playing with fire there because people aren't going to be too mm. happy if you're trying to remake something that's already they already love. It, it was that thing I remember when being in the cinema when um, Benedict Cumberbatch says, I am Khan. And it just, it splits the room because half the room is going, yeah, we know. <laughs> like It's really <laughs> obvious. And then the other half are going, yeah. who? What? Exactly. And like, even the characters on screen are like, who? Sorry? What? We haven't Who's met that? you yet. <laughs> we haven't had that background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and that, that was the worst problem because they didn't, they actually tried to keep it secret. They actually tried in the promotional material. <laughs> no. They tried in everything. And everybody knew who he was going to be. Yeah, everybody knew. The and worst they, and, they, and then when he, Yeah. The worst kept secret. And then when he comes out and he says, I am gone. That's exactly, you were exactly right in the response. Yeah. Because it's it, it, nobody, or I almost certain nobody watching that film has ever gone, what? No. 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 It, no. <laughs> it would literally be, yep, yeah, I know, or who? And that's the problem. And I think that's, that's, that's why those films, while by no means bad, they are they are missing something I think quite key and you know ultimately this is this is the honest truth they will keep making Star Trek movies they've got another one penciled in for 2023 we don't know what that's going to be yet but um, but Star Trek is 
it was born on TV, and that's really where it, it it's supposed to be. Mm. It's a TV show. Yeah. You know, it, it does its best work. It's always done its best work on television. You know, much as some of the movies are great, and they are, some of them are truly great films, particularly The Wrath of Khan, TV is where it, they can do what Star Trek is for yeah. and to be about. And, and, that, and that's why I am glad that it's on television, you know, and they're doing all... And they are trying to be bold with it. They are trying different formats and styles, and I, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So... You know, I'd rather it exist and be around. And much as I might moan, I'll always watch it. <laughs> you know, I'll always watch them. Doesn't matter whether I'm not the biggest fan of them or not. I will always watch, and I will always hope yeah. that they that they're more my thing. I go, in, I will go into every single season of a Star Trek show wanting to love it. That's and great. That's, you know, I will. Yeah, always. I think that's how you should approach any art form, any anything that you're a big fan of. I think whether it's you know, like you said, a, a TV show, a uh, a movie, a bit of music, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, go in with an open mind. And worst case scenario, if you don't yeah. like it, that's a shame. But you can you can just go, well, this particular part of this isn't for me right now. But sure. I yeah. mean, especially in the era that we're living in with streaming and so, so many services, <laughs> so many, you know, that it's like, <laughs> and as you, as you said, with, with Star Trek as a, as a franchise, it seems to be on the rise. There's lots of different versions. So yeah, if you're watching a series and you're going, mm. do you know what? I'm not getting on with this. This isn't grabbing me. That's okay. You can probably just come back in like a year or so and there might be something else for you. Or maybe at the same time, there'll be a different show. So for example, right yeah. now, if yeah, you're yeah. thinking, I don't particularly care for Discovery, there's another Picard season. Or there's an anim- totally. or there's an animated comedy, or there's even a kids mm-hmm. show. Like you just go and try it. I guess is is the best advice, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, completely. Try it, and if it's not for you, mm. then don't tell everyone. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> it's not for me. The worst, the worst kind of people are the people who yeah. will intentionally tell you that they don't like something oh, for no man. reason. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. I don't care. Like ultimately, like if you don't like it don't it's fine you don't have to engage with it but we don't need to know you know yeah. we don't need to unless yeah. you're asked unless somebody mm-hmm. says to you do you like star trek discovery then it's perfectly fine to go not really but you don't it's it's the equivalent of going not <laughs> going around someone's house knocking on their door yeah. them opening the door and going hi and you're going i hate star trek bye and, you get, you, and then leave it yeah like, uh, it, <laughs> you wouldn't do it would you I could not agree more with you um it's so funny actually i was on a show recently uh with some of my other guests uh Josh and Andy on Ramblin' Amblin', which is it's a lot of fun. We were talking about Back to the Future and how, like, you know, everyone loves Back to the Future, right? And then Josh perked up and was like, and if you meet someone who says they don't, it's their whole personality. It's like, oh, I don't like this. And I just, you just made me think that's so true. And it's true of, he used the example of the Beatles as well. And I thought, yeah, Star yeah. Trek, these, all these things are popular. Star Trek's another example. Like, okay, like I said, I don't consider myself a fan, but in fairness, I've not given it a proper mm. try. But I agree with you. It would be stupid of me to go up and go, well, I don't like this. It's like, well, A, I haven't tried it, and B, who cares? There's like there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people out there who love it, and that's yeah. cool if people are enjoying it. And, you know, from what you've said to me just in our short time together, I feel like I've got such a better understanding now of why people love it. And it seems to be, for the most part, for the right reasons. The fact that it's, as you said, it, it's born initially out of a place of optimism. I mean, that's, yeah. that's amazing. If, if a piece of art can give people hope, that's one of the best things. If it can move something inside of somebody during an era, particularly in the 60s, which was just full of despair, 
you know, that, that people mm. can can take something really positive yeah. out of a, a fun TV show that's on for a few years, then I think that's probably one of the greatest compliments you can give it. Mm. Yeah, and, and it's why I'm really happy when people do enjoy the modern stuff mm. because we're in another phase of despair. We're yeah. in another <laughs> era of despair. And if Star Trek is making people happy and it's making people hopeful and it's making making people believe that one day we will be out there exploring the universe with um, um you know a, a a black female captain and, and transgender people who aren't even you know who are considered perfectly as part of the you know all these things that are great and are progressive and are forward thinking and are being chipped away at by our horrendous people in charge and all of the right now floating around if star trek can cut through that and make you feel good about everything then that's what it's for you know and that's what it's always been for that's the whole point that's why it's always existed and there are lots of and if you dig deeper there are all kinds of different alternate histories in some ways about how you know some of the people who created star trek and developed star trek they're not all good people and not everybody has great stories and there are dark elements of like with any franchise and any fandom and everything like that but at its core element um it's it's a good thing and it's it is inspiring i mean there've been amazing stories about how it's inspired like astronauts to become astronauts and go wow. into space to go and work for nasa oh yeah yeah there's, huh. there's loads of stuff like that scientists who've gone into fields and things like this because of star trek mm. but over the last 50 odd years amazing it's it you know yeah it's brilliant so it's it's it is a massive thing in terms of what it's a what it says and what it's about and uh i i would completely understand if it's not everyone's cup of tea because it it isn't you know and that's fine and i get why because it, it isn't always something that's super accessible for everybody and maybe just isn't quite their thing um but it it de- like i said it depends what era you go for really so it's it, i'd say to anybody I'd, i'd honestly i'd tell them to watch the new stuff now i'd say try the new stuff see what see if you like it if you like it maybe then dip your toe in the water of the older stuff yeah um and if you know it's not the same you're not going to get the same things out of it but you know um i would just always encourage people to try amazing and um i guess really that leads me to ask you about your your book then because you've as i said you've you have brought out a book that's all about star trek but as we've you know just really touched upon in this conversation there's so much that you can discuss about it so what is your your current book about star trek what is it all about let's talk talk us through it <laughs> i've quite i suppose in a way I, I already have in some senses it's called star trek history and us okay um reflections of the present and past throughout the franchise that's the full title mm-hmm. i'm actually quite pleased because i came up with that first star trek history and us <laughs> um when, when i spoke to you last i uh, myth building in modern media yeah. wasn't my choice yeah I <laughs> and i was like yeah. you know whereas this one i came up with this so i'm quite pleased with it good stuff um and it's it's essentially based it's based on a podcast i started actually funnily enough called um primitive culture which i started with my friend duncan barrett who's himself a, a very successful history author and he's a massive star trek fan and in 2017 we came together for an idea about a podcast that explores history and culture in relation to star trek so um we've duncan now i i, I as i always do with my podcasts i get i get diverted and go and do other things but duncan has kept it going and i'm still i'm still quite heavily involved i still do a lot of production on it and i still guest on it rel- relatively regularly 
but Duncan has taken it on and he's done over 100 episodes and they are amazing conversations that go into real depth about Star Trek and about how so many episodes and eras of Star Trek and storylines reflect things that happened in the real world. Um, and it, it struck me not long after really we'd started that there was a book in this, that there was the primitive culture, the book. Um, and uh, and that's where it all started from, really. And, and, and it, I wanted to sort of look at the history of Star Trek from 66 yeah. through to now and sort of try and look at what it was talking about. So there are, it's broken down by each decade. So there is the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and the noughties, and a, and, a, and a bit of the 10s as well. Wow. But it's the, 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 premise, the thesis of the book essentially is Star Trek is predicated on this idea that in the future, we, the human race is part of something called the United Federation of Planets. And they are, it's essentially like a, a United Nations slash United States that has cracked it that is leading this amazing coalition of worlds, all peaceful, all scientific, going out, exploring the galaxy, etc. And when the, in, the, in the 90s, Star Trek was pretty much assumed that we'd get there. You know, that's where we were going. You know, we'd, we got to the end of the Cold War. People were, in a, people were more affluent than they'd ever been, happier. There was no war, major world war. There was no big conflict. You know, we were going to do it. We were getting to the end of the 20th century. We'd done it. After all these thousands of years of strife, we were getting there. Um, and I'm not sure that that's the case anymore. <laughs> and there is, and there is, um, there's a famous thing in Star Trek called the mirror universe, which is like the dark. Have you ever seen community? Yes. TV show? Yeah, I loved community when it was on. Uh, you, you know, the darkest timeline that yeah. Abed is in. Oh, that, that... It's my favorite episodes. <laughs> Evil Abed with the goatee. The dark... <laughs> Evil Abed with the goatee. That is based on Star Trek. There is right. there is an episode of Star Trek right. in the 60s called Mirror, 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 which where Spock, evil Spock has a goatee. Yeah. And they're from an alternate mirror universe that is evil. And the, all the humans are evil. And that's where uh, the darkest timeline is completely a spoof of. Um, and wow. it's, and I've, uh, in the book, I sort of say, are we now in the darkest timeline? You know, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 over the last 20 years, have we switched? You know, mm. are we now actually heading for the, the evil empire where we're all murderous fascists <laughs> in wow. the 23rd century? <laughs> the point being that Star Trek, the, the assumption that we're going to get there and get to this perfect utopian future isn't in the bag. And I right. think the book is all about trying to understand what Star Trek was reflecting like I say, from Vietnam to the Cold War to all of these different things, 9-11 and beyond, and trying to figure out what Star Trek was trying to say about these things within the fiction itself. Wow. So how was how were all of these shows reflecting this? Because they all do. Yeah. You know, the um uh the Enterprise very much reflects 9-11 because at the end of its second season, the Earth is attacked, half of Florida is destroyed out of nowhere by by an alien race, and then it becomes this dark show where they go on a crusade to try and find these aliens to stop them, you know, creating a super weapon to destroy the earth. It's all a massive nine 11 allegory, essentially. Wow. Um, so there's lots in there that they were, that it sort of has a knock on effect of the time that they're in. So that's what the book charts. And then it ends with that ultimately as part of the fabric of the history, the future history of Star Trek, Carly, there mm -hmm. is actually a third, third world war that happens in Star Trek. Right. In the early 21st century. Yeah. Okay. And the idea, yeah, in around the 2040s, tw I know, it's a bit worrying. In around the 2040s, 2050s, there is a World War Three that kills like a billion people. 
And then from that, because start that's the seedlings of when when you get to first contact, that movie you've seen, hmm. that happens in the wake of the Third World War when they go back to that Earth, basically. Right. And the guy who invents the warp drive, which is what all the starships use, yes, um, he's that beacon of hope for the future. And this is why the Borg are trying to kill him because if they kill him, then the Federation never happens, and the, this amazing utopian future never happens. Right. But in order to get to this place of peace and prosperity. We've had to go through a third world war that nearly killed us all. So wow. is Star Trek essentially saying that we, we, we shouldn't count our chickens, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that the way we're heading is a slippery slope. Um, right. So, yeah, you know, and actually what, what, what I realized recently is that we are now closer to the events of first contact. That happened in 2063, Harley. That was when humanity first met the Vulcans and developed warp drive and all this. That's 43 years away, 42 years away from where we are. No, 41 years from where yes. we are now. Yeah. That is closer than the first episode of Star Trek on television, which was 54 years ago. Good grief. 55 years ago. <laughs> so that puts it into perspective. So, so <laughs> a little you know, bit. There, there is time. <laughs> what you're saying. There is time. There is time. And I think ultimately my book is about trying to look into all that. Mm-hmm. think about the history and the culture around it and think about how we can get there, you know? Right. Um, and that's essentially what it is. Fascinating really. stuff. So, um, okay. It might give people a bit more of an insight. If they're interested in Star Trek, it might give them a bit more insight into what the series was trying to do. Because there's a lot of, of the internal history about how it was made in there as well. And yes, all kinds of different things like that. So um, yeah, I think it would enhance your knowledge of Star Trek. I hope anyway. And it yeah. was, it was amazing fun to basically write almost the whole thing in the first lockdown last year, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is what just... I did. <laughs> I immersed time. myself in Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Amazing. I'd encourage anyone to check it out. Well, I w- yeah, I'll definitely be putting links in for, uh, for that for anyone to go and check it Thank out. You. I mean, wow, incredible. And as we've really, I think, touched upon in just this discussion, there's obviously a lot to unpack in the fact that you've gone and done that. Yeah, it'd be well well worth checking out, I think. Um, so no, thank you for sharing, and I thank you for your, for your time on, on all of this, Tony. I've really enjoyed this. I've really enjoyed oh, having my kind of eyes open a bit more to the series and, and what it's all about. And yeah, I think that's so cool. So I guess the only thing really left to do is to say, where, where can the good people find you who are listening now? <laughs> well, firstly, thanks for inviting me back on, Harley. It's a real pleasure, and uh, it's really nice to talk. Uh, not just about my book, but about Star Trek as a whole, um, because I don't always think about this stuff until I talk about it in a way and how I fit with it. So it's been great. So thank you. Um, and the book, uh, Star Trek History and Us, uh, you can find it on Amazon, um, depending on where you're listening from. It is out in the US already. Uh, it's out on Kindle as well, uh, everywhere. And it will be out um, in the We're recording before it comes out. I don't know if this episode will have gone out, but it will be the April the 30th. It's out in the UK. It's not super cheap because it is technically an academic text. So it's around £30 to buy. Okay. Um, so it is, it is quite expensive. So to be honest, yeah, fair buy the Kindle version. It's a bit cheaper. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it'll be out there. And you'll be able to order it. I don't know if it'll be on the bookshelves as such, but you'll be able to order it through Waterstones or any of the other bookshops you might go into. So, um, right. so yeah, check it out there. And um if you want to find me, you can find me at uh, AJ Black Writer on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and I have a page on Facebook as well. Uh, and check out my podcast network, We Made This, 
network.com um, because that's where I do a lot of podcasting, partly about Star Trek, but about loads of other things as well, the X-Files and Marvel and all this kind of stuff. So um, I'm lurking around all of those all of those places. I also do have my own website as well, which I maintain sporadically called ajblackwriter.com as well. So you might want to check that out. Brilliant. Again, I'll put links to all of that in for you. So thank you, Tony, for coming on. Thanks very much. Hope to speak to you again at some point. Book three. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> And there we have it. Thank you so much to Tony for coming on to the show and talking to me about Star Trek and explaining everything really about the show. It was thoroughly enjoyable and very educational. I hope that everyone listening enjoyed it. And if you did, definitely reach out to myself and Tony to let us know. I've put both of our social media accounts in the show notes. And if you enjoyed the conversation and you would like to know more, as I said at the start of the show, Tony's book is available, Star Trek, History and Us, Reflections of the Present and Past throughout the franchise. I've put a link to that in the show notes as well. In podcasting news, I just wanted to give a special mention to somebody who has been very supportive and kind since really the beginning of the show, and that is my good friend, Jacob Moon. Jake, if you are listening, thank you so much for your kind messages and support. I greatly appreciate it my friend and if you listening are like jake you're enjoying the show and you want to let me know feel free to reach out to me my social medias are in the show notes both of them are at fundamentals pod instagram and twitter respectively something that i should point out really with the social medias and it's kind of my fault for not making this more clear each uh, episode social media accounts they're not just there for me to plug the show and beg you to retweet it although retweets and shares are very much appreciated believe me really it's so that we can engage and talk so if you're listening to this for example on this subject uh, star trek why not reach out to me and again tony as well and let us know what you love about the show maybe your favorite film your favorite tv series favorite character i would love to know you know with each subject i want to kind of grow in the knowledge and just sort of tap into little communities that exist out there. I think that could be a really lovely way of using social media. So if you're on board with that idea, why not jump in and message me and we'll have a chat. And I should also say, if you are feeling really bold and you would love to even come on the show and talk to me about a topic, don't hesitate to ask. You know, guest spots are open. And again, that's my fault for not making that super clear, but... They are open. You don't have to necessarily be a podcaster or a writer or anything like that. So to be on the show, really, you just have to have a passion for what it is that you're talking about. So again, reach out to me at Fundamentals Pod, Instagram and Twitter. I hope to hear from you. And finally, if you are enjoying the show and you want to leave me a review, of course, that would be greatly appreciated. Five stars, preferably, on your favourite podcasting app. And let me know, because unfortunately the softwares that I'm using to track the podcasts are a little bit vague on things like that. So if you've gone through the trouble of leaving me a lovely review, even just clicking five stars, you don't necessarily have to say anything, tell me. Because if you have, of course, I will give you a thank you on the show. It is the least that I can do. That is it from me, and I will be back in a few weeks' time with a completely different guest on a completely different subject. So until then... Stay tuned and stay safe.